Thank you, Jackie, for reading that beautiful prayer or song of Mary. And as we've heard that prayer and also heard a prayer sung just before, thank you, Lisa, Steve, and Cindy, for, for leading us in worship and just for setting our hearts and tuning our hearts to the one we come to worship today, the one we come to experience the love of Jesus and to declare the love of Jesus. So with these songs in our hearts and in our minds, would you bow with me in a word of prayer? So Lord God, we want to join in with Mary's prayer and, and make it our prayer today. And so Lord, we say that our soul magnifies you, O God. Our spirit rejoices that you are our Savior. Thank you for looking down upon us in the lowliness of being your servants. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave up your right to be God and that you became human and that you were born among us. That miracle, we just say thank you and we praise you, O oh Jesus. Thank you that all generations are blessed and saved because of this great miracle. And so we worship you, the mighty one, for you have done great things and we worship your holy name. And so, Lord, we pray that as we continue this service, and as we look into your word, oh Lord, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you will bring encouragement and the truth of your love and your presence and your hope into each person's life who is listening in today. So Lord, we ask this of you in the incredible name of Jesus. Amen. So our series during the season has been Faces of Advent, and we certainly don't miss the irony that it's faces that we don't get to see these days and faces that we long to see. So it's been on purpose that we've tried to do some videos as well as have many people from our congregation be a part of our services just so you can have the opportunity to be encouraged by seeing more faces. And we just hope and pray that in whatever way you can do that appropriately and legally that you enjoy the faces that we love and the faces that we miss. As well through this series though, we've wanted to Look at the Christmas narrative and look closer at the faces and the lives of the characters. And so today, we're going to talk about Mary. So who was this biblical, this historic Mary? She's most often known as the Virgin Mary, and different church traditions um, have different views of her. Some honor her and, and revere her and, um, and call her a saint. And others may see her as just one of the many biblical characters in the story of Jesus. But no matter our tradition, who is this historical Mary? Well, since this is the faces of Advent, I looked into some of the famous painters to see how they depicted Mary. So we'll, we'll take a look at some of those now. So Van Gogh, Raphael, Da Vinci, Botticelli, and this one from an unknown painter. Now, as you see this picture of a black Mary and a black Jesus, you may wonder, wow, I wonder who thought Jesus was black. But then you might wonder, why did all of the painters think that Jesus or Mary were Caucasian? Now, as I studied this and looked through different authors, one author suggested that if we actually want to know what the historical or Mary would have looked like, and even in a modern picture today, this was his suggestion. And you'll see a picture here of, of a Middle Eastern Bedouin girl. And if you take a look at this girl, that might be 
the closest picture we would have today of what Mary might have looked like. So beyond what Mary looked like physically, what we want to look at in the scripture today is who was this Mary? Who was, what was the character and the heart behind this young teenage girl who was actually from a very common, ordinary family and background, nothing really special about her, but for some reason chosen by God for this incredible task of carrying the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. An incredible story. And so what can we learn from Mary's life, from Mary's character, and her devotion as we, as we walk into this season and, and learn about the faces of love? So let's begin with the scripture, Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to start reading at verse 26. If you have a Bible or you're looking on your phone, not all the scriptures will be on the screen, so it might be helpful to to follow. So again, Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now the first reaction that Mary had to this angelic experience that would have been so amazing was she was perplexed. It's interesting to me that even before the angel told her what her unique task would be, she was perplexed by the greeting. And the greeting was given two times, if you didn't notice, but two times the angel said, Greetings, favored one. You have found favor with God. So I want to suggest to you that an amazing thing of Mary here in the story is that Mary was willing to embrace that she was favored. So how do you feel about that? How do you feel about the idea, does God pick favorites? Does that seem fair? How do we understand favor? Or perhaps Mary was the most holy girl in the land. Did God look throughout the whole land and it was like, oh, here's the best one, here's the most holy one, let's pick her? Is this anything like the ancient Noah and the great flood story where God looked at the world and said there's only one righteous man left? Somehow I doubt all that, but it sure makes us think about favoritism. So what does favor really mean? Well, favor when it comes from God can be understood as completely undeserved love, that God grants us completely undeserved and completely unmerited. He pours out his love and chooses to use us. In fact, that's really the picture of the whole Christmas narrative. If you remember when Pastor Bruce talked about the shepherds, God loves to choose the ordinary. It's very much like what's said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, this is God's heart. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. This is God's MO, to choose the ordinary, to choose the unexpected. Can we figure out God's sovereignty in terms of 
how he chooses in, in time and in moments when he breaks into our history, that's a question for his sovereignty that we may never understand. But when God does choose by his sovereignty to break into our humanity, it seems to me that he looks for the humble, willing, open heart, and that he loves to choose the unexpected and the ordinary. And that's what we see in Mary. Now, when we think about Mary embracing the fact that she was favored, that's pretty amazing. And yet I ask you, are you favored? Do you feel favored by God? Well, you know, whether you believe it or not, the scripture tells us that we are. Look at 1 Peter um, chapter 2, verse 9, that says this, but you are a chosen people. Did you see that? You, but you, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you created in the image of God? Then you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You see, this verse declares that when, when God chooses you, you become family. You have a place, you belong. He calls you a special possession. And yet belonging, being family, being chosen, being a special possession doesn't mean that then we get to feel superior, better than. No, what does it mean? It means that we have the opportunity to bear witness, to de declare the one who called us out of darkness into his wonderful life, into under his wonderful light. That's why we belong, and that's why we are chosen. That's why we are favored. So can I encourage you to be like Mary? And whether you feel favored or not, whether the circumstances in your life make you feel like, I don't feel or look favored in any way, the truth of the scriptures, the truth of God's heart is, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are his special possession. You are favored. So I encourage you to put truth above feelings. And no matter what this season has been for you, embrace this incredible truth of a God who loves you so much that he calls you favored one, just like he would have called Mary favored one. So let's look a little bit more, more into the story. Then let's pick it up from Luke chapter 1, and let's start, go back to verse 29, where it says that Mary was perplexed by these greetings. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who is said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. Now I want us to consider this account of Mary's reaction to Gabriel. And I actually want to compare it to Mary's much older relative, a priest by the name of Zachariah, who also heard from the angel Gabriel. So, now, Mary's relative, Zachariah, was married to Elizabeth, and the angel Gabriel came to Zachariah 
with a similar message as Mary and said, your wife is going to have a baby. And of course, they were very old, so this was a different type of miraculous, but this angel came, and so this baby that was to be born to Zachariah and to Elizabeth was John, and John the Baptist who came before Jesus. So I want us to just go back a little bit and look at how Zachariah responded to the angel and to compare his reaction to Mary's. So go back to Luke chapter 1, verse 11. It says, So the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, appeared to him, Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Now remember, Zechariah is quite a bit older, and he's a priest serving in the temple. Verse 12. When Zechariah saw Gabriel, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Go down to verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Now consider these two angelic visitations and the unique response between a young, ordinary, common girl and an older priest serving in the temple. It's quite a contrast. Now if you remember back to Mary, her first reaction was she was perplexed. And then when she heard the news, of course it was incredible. You're going to be impregnated by the Holy Spirit and give birth to a son. This son's going to be the Messiah. Like, this would have been unbelievably overwhelming, amazing, amazing news. And yet her response, yes, her response asked a question, how could this be? But the sense we get is that this was just a very kind of legit, honest questioning of how could this miraculous thing be happening to me? And it's amazing how she accepted this so innocently, accepted this with just an incredible humility and faith in God, that that God, she really must have believed that God could do the impossible, that God could do the miraculous, that all of the promises that she would have heard as a little girl about Messiah coming, that they were going to come true. And how she could have believed that they might come true through her is amazing, but somehow she was able to embrace that. So that was Mary's response. So now what about Zechariah, the learned priest in the temple? Well, it says that he was terrified. Now maybe he was just old enough and wise enough to know he should be, but he, he, his response was, was terror and he was afraid. And then when the angel explained what was about to happen, he kind of thought he needed to help the angel out a little bit and say, you realize that your plan's kind of flawed here because this isn't going to work. And he basically said back to the angel, I want to be sure of this. He said, how can I be sure of this? He wanted surety. He was very typical of the Jewish mindset of his time that he needed a sign. He needed more evidence to believe. So I would would suggest to you that Mary's questioning was much more in the honest questioning embraced by God, whereas for some reason Zechariah had a different heart posture. It was a prove it. It was demanding God to give a sign to show me that this is true. And I would suggest to you that there was some unbelief kind of lurking in his heart. 
Now, I love Gabriel's response to him. This just almost makes me laugh because um, Zechariah is questioning Gabriel and going, how can this be? Like, give me a sign. How am I going to be sure of this? And Gabriel just basically says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I just love thinking about him standing there and going, I'm in the presence of God. I can assure you that all things are possible with God. Who are you, mere human, to question what God can do? So it's, it's interesting to imagine that. So again, I want you to, to consider this response of Zechariah. Now, there was a consequence to his response of unbelief, and that was the that for a period of time he lost his voice. And until John the Baptist was born months later, he didn't have a voice. And that was just another sign that, that certainly impacted people. But I'm suggesting to you that a part of this consequence was that Zachariah went from a good, honest doubting that we see in Mary to something that the Scripture calls unbelief and something that we're really warned about. Now, when I was young, I grew up in what many would call the Christian world or the church world, and I certainly don't blame my parents or the church, but I grew up with this feeling or this understanding that doubting was bad, that if I had doubts, I better keep them to myself, because if I admitted to people, and especially to other respected Christians, that I had doubts or questions, that that would not be good. In fact, if I was to open up and share about my doubts, I would fear that I would be judged, that someone would, would question my faithfulness or my devotion, or if I was even really a Christian. And so I, I lived that for many years, that, that sort of fear of I'm not allowed to doubt. And I think that's really unfortunate because I think the Scripture is very clear in many places that God welcomes our honest doubt, especially when it comes from a seeking heart. Now, I've also noticed, and again, this is just my experience, but in the last number of years, I've met a lot of people who say this to me. They say, I'm going through a time of deconstruction. Or they'll say, I'm at a point in my life where I'm deconstructing my faith. And when I ask them more about what they mean by that, they often refer to either a significant event or a series of events that caused them to look at the structure of their faith and go, I'm not sure that I, grab, that I believe this anymore. I'm not sure that this is all true anymore. I have so many doubts about this structure that I call my faith that I need to deconstruct it all in order to reconstruct something new or something that fits more with what I now believe. So when I hear people talk about deconstructing, and maybe you've heard that as well, I have mixed feelings. On one hand, I greatly admire those who are seekers and that are honestly seeking and wanting to make their faith real, wanting to ask the hard questions and seek and search. And so I can just really affirm that and really value that. And yet sometimes my heart breaks because I also know people who are deconstructing out of pain. They've had an event in their past that has hurt them or offended them or has caused them great offense. Could be in their family, could be the church. It could be a leader or a pastor or someone that hurt them, offended them. And often it's out of that pain, it's out of that disappointment, it's out of that rejection that leads doubting from a good place to a place of deconstruction that even at times shipwrecks people's faith. 
So that's my dilemma in, in teaching this part of honest doubt versus unbelief. The last thing I'd want to encourage us ever is to go back to that ditch that I grew up with, that it's wrong to doubt. Honest doubt can be good. We can seek God in that purity and in that longing. And yet, can I encourage all of you? If you've been through a painful time, I don't want to negate that pain, that disappointment, whatever brought you to a place of needing to deconstruct your faith. But can I encourage you not to go to that other ditch of shipwrecking your faith, of of walking away from your faith? Yes, people and institutions may have greatly harmed and disappointed you. But can I ask you to focus on Jesus, the true one that we worship? the true one that we honor, the true one that this amazing season of incarnation is all about, and to come to him. Can we look at the life of Mary, her honest doubt, and yet a young woman who was able to embrace truth over feeling that she was favored, favored of God, just like you and I. A a young woman who came to God in honesty, in humility, and was able to bring her honest out and not fall into unbelief. So my heart and prayer for all of us in this season, can we gravitate in faith, in love, towards a God who loved us so much that he gave up his right to be God to become human, to dwell in the messiness of our earth, to dwell in the messiness of our lives. He didn't come to judge, to condemn. He came to save. He came to rescue. He came to bring hope. He came to raise up a favored nation, you and I and all who will follow him. Forgiveness and truth. These are the foundations of Jesus. We can bring our doubt. We can bring our fears. But let's bring them to our Jesus. We're going to respond with a song. We're going to ask our worship leaders if they'll come back. And this song is an offering, an offering of praise to the one we love and the one who loves us. Amen.